Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week, Luke and Tex talk deliberate training through many of the programs that we utilize to develop bad motherfuckers. Your questions about the evolution of CrossFit football into Johnny Wad, why we choose the Power Athlete Metabolic Circuit just once a year, and our three biggest battles of bullshit are all answered. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And who makes a hotter Batman babe, Sharon Stone or Kim Basinger? Sometimes we answer training questions, sometimes we answer movie questions, and sometimes we significantly change people's lives. This is episode 290. McQuilkin. Morning. Pop quiz. Hot shot. How do we open this podcast? The Go. premiere podcast in strength and conditioning? See? Hey. See? Hey. Go. You're on. Oh. I'm Power tired. Athlete. <laughs> I'm tired. What is up? <laughs> I don't sound like that. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for another episode of the premiere podcast in strength and conditioning. conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. I know you're eager to hear the... Austin weather update, current time, 6.28 a.m. Dude, you know how foggy it is? Fog that, am I right? Yeah, I had yeah. to slow down to like 25. So when there is only 20 to 30 feet visibility on the way in, it affects my morning texting slash movie watching slash email reading slash whatever else, uh, uh, churro eating. Coffee spilling. Mul- coffee drinking, multitasking right in. I just can't wait till the day... Where I have a robot butler <laughs> to drive me in named Tesla. Dude, my neighbor. So, hey, folks, you may know I moved into a new house. And, uh, you know, being neighborly, kicked in the door, went to go rub elbow, elbows with my neighbor. He's a good dude. Doesn't have a fridge. I do. So that already gives me a plus one. Uh, but he has like a fucking the top of the line Tesla. He's like, dude, you got to get in this fucking thing. You've got to drive this thing. He's, I, I don't take advice from a guy that doesn't, doesn't have a fridge. Well, I believe there was a time text that you never had a fridge. No, I arranged the order so my fridge arrived on the day I moved in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Story checks out. And this was through the your whole collegiate career as well? My Was there ever fridge, a time the you... mini fridge in my <laughs> college dorm room? Uh-huh. Did you ever have a, no fridge? Ever? I'm sure when the power okay went out. can't trust you but i can't charge just, my I'm just using when your the logic. power goes out <laughs> you know what tex we're gonna settle this offline or maybe we duke it out right now um anywho anyway. what was i even talking about uh, when you get a self-driving car oh yeah he's got tesla i'm pretty intrigued by those things uh but he wants i don't trust it why not no you don't you don't use it for the self-driving Have you seen car. the sixth day yes terrible movie well they got the thing in the eyelids basically all of the ideas that, uh, what's his name? Not Tesla. The guy who makes Teslas. Elon. Elon Musk has. He stole from the sixth day. All right. Basically. I'm tr- I, have to, I tried to watch that a couple months ago, Tex, and like, I just had a bad experience at Carasota's Showplace 12 in Bolingbrook, Illinois in 1993 when that movie first came out, I just didn't like it. No, it was in high school. It would be 1999 or 2000 because I was driving. And it wasn't Showplace 12. It was 
what the fuck? AMC 30, I think, is what they called Ooh, it. Yeah, we had an AMC 30. Mm. Ours was worse. Anywho, ladies and gentlemen, now is the time. I know that as much as we hate to admit that power athlete radio followers identify as resolutionist resolutionists, you do. And this episode, is this the second to last of the year? Yes. So we're going to prime the pump for your New Year's resolution, which better be, I just want to be a bad motherfucker. And then you could do all of these things. Everything leads up to that one goal. And that's what we do at Power Athlete HQ is be bad motherfuckers or make resolutions. <laughs> Can it be both? <laughs> what if you have resolutions every week? Yeah, that's called a goal setting, and it's, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't think it is what you're supposed to do. I think you're supposed to set goals and then achieve them, not just uh, continually well, set goals. <laughs> and not do them? The goal being setting goals. Well, according to Fred Hatfield, RIP, setting goals that limit your capabilities. Hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we pushed out a request for information. We wanted to know what you wanted to know so that we can tell you the one and only answer that exists in the universe. And Tex, kind of through a curveball, we, we dropped some questions on the training feeds for Jack Street, Field Strong, Bedrock, Johnny mm -hmm. Wad, Grindstone, and a lot of fucking chatter, man. Those feeds are typically pretty quiet. And I'm curious, why don't these fucking people just take advantage of this feed every day? Because all of our coaches are there. We could easily pop in and answer these questions. John's watching. Yep. So if you're following the program, people, don't be afraid to use those feed. It comes right, boom. It, it beams right to our robot assistant smartphones. And it notifies us, hey, there's something going on on the feed. But if it's some, like, rude ass, hey, where's my programming, assholes? Those things tend to get snoozed. But if it's a sincere inquiry on how to improve your training, we're all over it. So, Tex, let's go with first question. What What's tickling your fancy right now? From the feeds, I have classic bedrock question. So we have a gentleman who's got to do a 1.5-mile test. So... How, do you, how does he work this and continue to progress in the linear progression? But he has to do this 1.5-mile test for his, his work. His yeah, career. so our guy George is a military guy, mm -hmm. and he's got his PT test. Wow. How many times across every fucking program do we hear this? So in case you haven't followed any of our programs, we are hard, heavy, fast, shorter, right? Shorter distances. Yeah. I hate to use those terms, but appropriate distances for power sports. How's right. that? Acceleration and top end speed. Yeah. Which traditionally lands when we're talking about speed development in 10 to 40 yards with some tempo work, or let's call it quote unquote distance work at hundred yards. Like that's kind of where yeah. things cap trend at, cap at 120. The right. Field. Mm -hmm. So here's what you got to do. Listen, all of our military folks, this is a public service announcement. And this is pretty true for almost every cycle of most programs, right? And it may vary depending on whether or not, like, for example, we're doing PAMC and Field Strong, and that's just, it's brutal. And it's, yeah. it's going to be a lot of volume. You just, you just tailor down the runs on that cycle, and then you jump back on. But you need to hit 400-meter repeats 
occasionally, let's say once every other week, follow the sprinting as prescribed otherwise, Mm -hmm. and then be sure to sprinkle in every four weeks one of those distance runs, at least. It's a test. You are fucking trying to PR and crush that 1.5 miles so we can put those 400-meter repeats to use. Those essentially establish a time for you to beat, like, like a goal for you to beat every single lap. So 1.5 miles, you got to get. You're aiming for sub nine minutes. Yeah, it's, it's very realistic. So we're looking at nine minutes. How many fucking... So we got six laps. You got nine minutes to accomplish that mile and a half. No, n- literally nobody knows. Nobody knows. But establish those goals with your 400-meter repeats and then hold yourself to those times. But it's in 1.5 miles versus a standalone 400. And then also think about, I guess, performance peaking, right? So as an Olympian prepares for the national qualifiers, Olympics, things like that, they approach it over a four-year cycle, right? And as they approach their competition or powerlifter approaches their competition, they look to peak and very things change in the training. Mm -hmm. So as you're approaching your testing or... As you have a, a, t- a test date in mind, think of the further out you are, the more rest you can use to go faster. Or am I going inverse text? So like if they're, let's say they're 16 weeks out, they could go like a one to three work rest. Oh, yeah. So I, that, that's conditioning. So Olympians, they don't necessarily have to worry about conditioning unless they have multiple... Mm-hmm. Events. Well, let's be clear. No one listening to this podcast, very few people are Adam Olympian Nelson, what's up, bro? caliber athletes. And I don't know if Jorge or George is. I fucking certainly am. You are not. I'm a well, big spike ball player. The spike ball, when the spike ball gets to the Olympics, you're not going to be there. That's a, actually a fact. You, <laughs> Have you followed spike ball on Instagram? Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Dude. Those people you are talking about athleticism, but all those little weenies—they're like 130 pounds. I know, and all they can do is spike ball versus playing real sports. Nice. Anyway, so Saturdays. Saturdays are going to be your focus on that 1.5 mile test, but take your time. It's not just running 1.5 five miles. It's all the preparation, the sprint prep, and think of that as your game day. You're going to establish a warm up routine or an approach to that test. And then you're just going to get it down. So when you show up to take that test, you can fucking smash it and then focus on your linear progression. You mentioned and questioned overtraining in here. 1.5 miles supplement. And we're talking maybe a cumulative, I don't know, eight eight miles a month. We're not going to necessarily worry about overtraining. And at this stage in life, Bedrock bedrock is built for the novice athlete. Mm -hmm. And we may have missed that window for you here. So we're going to milk it for all we can, and then we're going to get you too field strong. But for right now, don't worry about overtraining with this 1.5-mile test. Just fucking crush it. And public service announcement for coaches who may have who have experience implementing bedrock, right? As you introduce these longer runs, it is possible that it affects the linear progression and reset cadence that you may be used to. I guess we call it the coach's journey, right? As the more times you take an athlete through that bedrock cycle, you start to see the patterns. There's certain, certain milestones and checkpoints after, let's say, 10, 12, 13 weeks, 
14, 17 weeks, which lifts, depending on the athlete's initial testing, limiting factors. Like there's, there are these segments of how things should work, but as you start to introduce longer runs, it could, depending on your athlete's training age, affect how that cycle maps out, right? Right. Yeah, and if you are taking military athletes through this, you need to factor in the test that they do have to take, whether it's the the PT or the new right. the new test. ACFT. ACFT. So take those into consideration, but you, like Luke said, need to set it up once a month, once a cycle, six weeks, eight weeks to test, but you got to train them to go balls out for that, not just get through it mm-hmm. and survive it. And I guess, so if you're hitting all, and I know this is like more time to the training, but if you're hitting 400s on, let's say, a, a lateral speed and agility day where it's like three step and turns and shit like that, use that as prep, I guess, because you still need to, you still need to develop that that nonlinear coordination and change of direction, even though you're testing in a sagittal, like just running, you, you just need to, it, it'll, it'll keep you off profile. It keeps you healthy. You mm-hmm. need to get that movement through and, space. And ACFT has some change of direction. In yeah. There. Fair enough. Let's pop over to Jack street. Okay. Uh, my guy bean who fucking, I like this guy at symposium. Yeah. I liked his question. He's fucking switched on. Speaking of the symposium, it was fucking epic. If you missed it, you truly missed, missed it. it. Like, <laughs> we're gonna put everything on YouTube, so you're lucky, bitches. Right, but the energy you can't, you know? yeah. Oh, the energy you don't believe in. Yeah, <laughs> we found out Tex does not believe in Juju. That's a fact. Anyways, Bean asks, uh, where did the idea for the Jack Street anabolic circuit come from, and what were the testing stages like? So this comes from our PAMC, which we'll talk about in a bit, but where it varies from PAMC is that we start with compound lifts and go down to some isolated lifts to get like that big high heart rate, pre-fatigue, and then awesome fucking pump at the end, right? So we tinkered with this a little bit in the Ezekiel stuff on our end. It was pretty pretty gnarly, but it's also going to fall in line with like every fucking Jack Streeter's new year's objective which is probably to fucking lean out so we're adding a little bit of metabolic conditioning in the form of the pamc to shift and augment the three pillars training cycle so it's going to look very similar probably 20 24 minute circuits 10 seconds on 70 10 to 20 seconds on 70 60 to 70 seconds off and you're going to be popping through these movements think of a lot of the classic movements that we see in jack street and we're eager to see how you guys hold up to it. Under stress. Yes, sir. And the goal here isn't, unlike the field strong, uh, the, we're, you have to start light. This is about getting volume in. It's not about barfing. It's about moving to failure, finding that failure point, but being able to sustain a moderate heart rate all the way through, right? So it's not going to be like dudes on field strong, just implode. You should not implode on the yeah. Jack Street anabolic circuit. And then number two, Bean, what happens if you live, if you try to live your life any further than a quarter mile at a time, Tex? You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> you Tex. haven't even completed your quarter mile. Yeah, I'm still driving. You're out there, I'm granny shifting, not double clutching like you should. That's you not, almost had me. That's not even a real thing. You never had me. You never had your car. Dom Toretto. So the answer is, if you... you'll then you get less reps at doing something awesome. Because if you're going five miles at a time, 
That's just too much. It's you too said fun. that like it's a negative tone. You get less reps at doing something awesome. But there's value in doing less reps at doing something awesome. It's basic intensity principle, bro. I totally disagree with you. And I know that's how you live your life is one one lunar lap at a time. <laughs> yeah, but then you create this great story and memory behind it. And you can tell that one thing. But you do too many to remember. There's some truth to that as well. So there is a healthy balance. So maybe I'm living my life 10 yards at a time. And quarter mile is just the right amount. Because you got to think about it, people. You may be on that lunar lap like McQuilkin has been for the last 10 years. What's a, I'm like, not sure. I'm just kind of making that up. But I imagine a lunar lap is like a, a lap. galactic calendar? Lap around Mars. <laughs> the moon, I mean. Mars is moon. <laughs> Mars doesn't have Let me moon. finish. But if you become too committed, you end up getting stuck in the ruts. And you miss out on all of these cool turnoffs that could shift your perspective on life. That's why you got to live a quarter mile of time, bro. So you take, you just stop every quarter mile and look around? No. I'm looking around as I'm driving. You turn steadily. You drift left. Oh, you're a drifter. <laughs> you are a drifter. What do you got? Uh, let's jump on that power athlete metabolic conditioning question. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, so on the field strong, field strong feed. All right, from Samuel David, what is the purpose of the Power Athlete Metabolic Conditioning Cycle, and why is it only programmed once a year? Can variations of the PAMC with different movements yield results if programmed sporadically during the year? The purpose essentially establish a metabolic base, a base level of conditioning, for then we can attack Field Strong with the Fury of a Thousand Suns. So... Field strong, we want to set aside about 90 minutes per day for this training. But if you push yourself and we get this general physical preparedness throughout the year with the training, if you're working through it, you're not taking advantage uh, too much rest time, you're resting just enough to where then you can attack the next, the set, the cycle, whatever is in line for that day. So we're establishing a general physical preparedness base, a base level of conditioning for the year to take us into the next cycle. And then John programs every other, every after every cycle, a reload. So that's going to be more of this GPP base, but it's not going to be as intense as your experience on the PAMC. So we're establishing this base level of conditioning. Think of this as like training camp before your sports season. It's fucking grueling. It's fucking tough. It's intensity in 10 cities, but then it sets you up to survive your your preseason and then get rolling into season. So that's what we're going through right now on the, the Field Strong program to set us up for 2019 because we got some badass cycles on the way, the next one being potentiation. So mm-hmm. you ha- you're, you got to be ready to fucking attack the speed, attack all the things we're going to get into, the jumps, the explosive, getting into some Olympic lifting. So we are establishing this base level. You want to mix up the movements? I don't suggest it. So these movements are hand-picked, and this comes from the Nebraska cir- circuit, so Boyd Epley. If you want to read up on that, Nebraska circuit, Boyd, mm-hmm. back in the day, and all of his, his test subjects were badass motherfuckers like uh, Vanderbosch, if you remember that freak. He was on the Titans for a little bit. But uh, we're establishing this base level of conditioning so you don't get overtrained, overworked. So 
don't overthink it. Don't try to get too cute and fancy and make your own spin on these things. All of these are hand-selected, and we've been using it once a year for the past five years, and damn it, it works. Mm-hmm. And slight variations based off John's experience. Yeah. Right? So power athletized it. <clears throat> Correct. Based off Boyd. So mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, uh, Boyd sp- splits it into upper-lower, but John... Instead of going five upper in a row, John goes upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower for the 10 movements Mm -hmm. to then put you in a position because we want to athletize this Mm -hmm. versus just focusing on uh, hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. So I guess reference to the anabolic circuit, that'd be more representative of what Boyd Epley created way back in the day. But then we're working towards creating field transfer conditioning, getting you ready for full body. And you have to realize every day. it's a significant change in training stimulus as well. Yeah. Which which is welcomed in I guess a multi a multi month macro cycle, right? It, it just it helps. Yeah, annual. So we mm-hmm. write field strong annually. So not just weekly or cycly. All right, let's barrel forward. I'm gonna jump on Johnny Wadfeed and then we'll get on to social for a little bit. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Where... So, wait a minute. Who just asked that question? Dude, this Samuel guy. Samuel David. I fucking, he has another good question on Johnny Watt. This guy is fucking program hopper. Oh, program hopper. But it's a great question. Can you talk about the transition from CrossFit football to Johnny Watt and what changed in regards oh, cool. to the programming methodology? Overall goal of the program and movement selection. I've enjoyed Johnny Watt. And would like to hear more. Oh, he's qualifies this. And I would like to hear more of the method behind the madness. Been doing it since October 2017, minus right now, where he hopped off to hit PAMC. Ah. So I guess I guess that's a legitimate hop. Anywho, barreling forward. Sam, you fucking lucky day, bro. Two questions answered. And I think a lot of people want to hear about this. First and foremost, CrossFit football is a legacy program that we pushed out. From 2008 to 2015 on CrossFitFootball.com. Don't quote 16. me on 16. The goal there was to provide a blueprint for CrossFit gym owners wed to the CrossFit methodology of constantly varied functional movements performed at high intensity wow. and to allow them to pivot the training style in their facilities for power athletes. That is high horsepower, short duration power athletes. It took the 21-15-9 and broke it down to 15-12-9-6. Why? Because lower reps means higher intensity, aka load, which means a very different training response than work capacity. The objective was to allow these affiliates to put a program that felt like CrossFit, was true to the CrossFit brand, into their program, to build an athletic individual, right? The problem was CrossFit, as it grew, had to stay in a very specific lane to be CrossFit. Or it owned everything and called it CrossFit. And I'm talking about the mothership now, not the affiliate owner, okay? So don't confuse the affiliate owner or the box with the mothership. And as our methodology grew, as influencers continued to come in, as McQuilkin came in and we would have 
as we would have circle up and talk programming methodology, things continued to stray outside of the confines of constantly varied functional movements performed to high intensity. And we actually found work capacity to be a limiting factor within performance because work capacity is antagonistic to replication of speed. Replication of speed is essential in any sort of athletic endeavor. I'll let Tex expound on that if he wants. Now, <clears throat> with that said, we asked some people, why the fuck do they follow CrossFit football? And there's two very reasons, two reasons. One, to be better at sports, and two, to be a big, strong, bad motherfucker and have fun with their training. Kind of yeah. like enthusiasts, hobbyists, people who just want to look good and be strong. So we stripped out anything that may prohibit somebody from getting big, strong, and bad and push that over to field strong, bedrock, what you see in terms of our athletic performance. And then John uses his talents to put together programming that's fun, that is sustainable, where you won't burn out and you can continue to follow for the most part. Remember, we're programmed for like thousands of people here. So there is individuality. Some people can't handle the volume, but it it's a way for us to put out a an homage to CrossFit football that has stripped out the the truly athletic components to it. Does that sound right, Tex? Did I say that all right? Nailed it. Crushed it. So in terms of the movement selection, you're probably just going to see a lot more stuff you can attack, right, versus consciously focusing on movement through space. Right. And you are already going to be good at a lot of the... 98% of the movements asked of you on Johnny Watt. You're familiar with them. You've been coached on them and you have a, a, a competency within these movements. So you can go fucking balls to the wall and mm -hmm. have some fun with it. Field strong. Nah, we're going to get you good at what you're not fucking good at, which and is for some people frustrating and boring. Like tech, tech, when we're doing some of the shit on field strong offline and strength uh, in the power athlete ranch, I like text I'm fucking bored. He's like, yeah, exactly. And he's, you know, and I suck. I'll, I'll suck at crossover step up shit like shit. We don't necessarily program because you need a coach there, but it's, it's like the slow conscious competence that you need to prime that movement pattern and then go fast to see if it's working or stress it to progress. Yeah. We're at a plane of motion. So if we were fucking around on Monday, which dude, I sprinted up to the bar and my legs are pretty sore, <laughs> even though we didn't do a lot. That's I why know. I like it. But essentially uh, finding neutral within our hips, but then adding frontal plane in these different planes of motion where, you know, it was not emotionally intense, but damn it, I guess our, our central nervous system, our muscles had to, to, to dial it in to execute the movements. That's more field strong style than the fucking barn burners. Now, not so, that there's anything wrong with that. And, and, and then we got another Johnny Water that said, that wants to know more about it. He says, you just don't see the CrossFit movements that CrossFit football had like toes to bar and handstand pushups because they don't contribute to the overall goal of being a bad motherfucker. And they're not prudent. That that's what I want to jump on. And also those two movements have been bastardized to find shortcuts. So back in when John was programming them in the, the, the O nines, the O tens, the O's 11s, it's not O 11. It's just 11. Oh, and it's not 010, it's just 10. But go on. Okay. Anyway, so when well, I guess John technically was it is. I'm programming wrong. those, those were looked at as skills. So you had to develop competency within them. They slowed you down a bit. And with some of the benefits that we find in Field Strong, but back then, right, when these move movements, 
these movements were new, you had to think about moving through space and doing them well. Now it's just fucking kipping handstand push-ups mm-hmm. and like short-changing your toes to bar to try to go faster. So the purpose was lost on what, why John was programming right. them back then. Yeah. So you see a trend within the CrossFit space for training for points, not even training, exercising for points, which leads into Ryan's last, what happened to the CrossFit football total, which was a one RM oh, uh, squat shit text. So we had power clean squat, power clean, squat, bench, bench deadlift, deadlift. Yeah. Honestly, on Train Heroic, without a coach, we just don't feel like 1RMs are the most prudent thing to push out to everybody. You want to fucking do it and test when you're feeling hot and sassy? Go for it, man. If you feel like you're experienced enough, the problem is it it contributes to the mindset of this exercising for points because it becomes a dick-swinging contest, right? I understand that it could also be a benchmark for progression. I totally understand that. Um, so we encourage you guys to spread it out every fucking four to six months. Do it, but we're not going to program it because people are popping on and off that program day in and day out, and it's just not the most, again, prudent thing to do. But that's not to say that you won't see a total in the program. It's just why it's not a regular staple. Got another one, Tex? Are we hopping to Instagram yet? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I got a good one here that connects the what we just discussed, and the Power Athlete Methodology course. So we got Doc Strength, who's currently in our online level one course, and he's talking about open loop versus closed loop activities. Back squat is an example of a closed loop in that it's predictable. You have a set start and stop, and you as an athlete initiate the movement. An open loop would be if if Luke and I were playing spike ball. I don't know where Luke's going with that. He does all these crazy blitzes and crazy things. Yeah, I don't know where he's going. So I have to then react to the movement, the ball. So an open loop is just a, a, a reaction. No set or start, stop. And I am playing off my environment versus I decide when to, to move there. I'm reacting to my opponent. So... Doc Strength asks, could a 1RM back squat be considered open as it will tax the central nervous system and hormones in a way that has never been experienced by a lifter before? I still have my first three times bodyweight back squat burned into my memory as it has taxed me in a way that I have never felt in training. Thoughts. So going back to that previous example, a closed loop, you have a set start and set finish, right? We start at the top of a squat, we hit our depth, and then we finish the movement at the top, or you fail on that 1RM. Still a a closed loop movement. And then the key is, as an athlete with a bar on my back, I I decide when to start. That makes it 100% a closed loop activity. It is not an open loop. What you're talking about is driving adaptation. Mm-hmm. So this is some power at the metabolic methodology level two stuff when we talk about what goes on within the body to drive the adaptation but we're just talking about movements here so open loop you wouldn't have that bar on your back you'd be reacting and it would be as maximal output as your body can do in that reaction to to jump run turn direction react to that spike ball or that opponent on the soccer field whatever it is so open loop you do not decide when to start when mm-hmm. to finish, you are reacting to your environment versus the just you controlling the movement. Right. And the, the variable is known 
enclosed loop. Yes. Right? So you know the weight will be the challenge versus open loop, the variable, while I guess it's the magnitude, direction of those variables is unknown, right? Yeah. And again, in our definition of athleticism, we break down no the difference between a known or a novel task. A known task, you're putting conscious effort towards doing something you've done before. And novel, you have all the tools in place, all the good primal movements to move through space and accomplish something that you've never done before. I got one here. CTS 2134, what up, Power Athlete Nation? What's up? See, this fucking guy gets it. For a college football player who wants to increase size, strength, and speed, what should a Costco trip consist of? Guess what, bro? I'm going to stray a little bit. First off, it's the holidays. If you get an Amazon gift card, you need to spend that on an immersion cooker, an immersion cooking bin. That's like a sous vide, and a, it's a, it cooks in water, and then also get either an insulator or a top or like... And you set it and forget it. Yes, because I'm going to... This is what you need to go buy then. Yes. Luke is talking to me right now. Not really. Well, I'm at at you. But you also need a fuckload of either Ziploc bags or a vacuum sealer. And you're going to go to Costco and you're going to buy all sorts of fucking lean cuts of meat. Think sirloin. Think sirloin tip roast. Think London broil. Okay. And I'm off chicken. The standout, like you guys, everyone has told me chicken's out. I get it. But when Stan Efferding was on this podcast a few episodes ago, I don't know why he, what he said, but I'm like, I just quit chicken. I quit chicken that day. But guess what I had for dinner last night? Chicken. Yeah, because we had a fucking whole chicken. But a whole roasted chicken tastes much better than like chicken breasts. I digress. So, bro, you need to be eating at least 1.5 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Scale weight. Okay, you need to understand how you respond to carbs in short, though, earn your carbs. So what types of carbs are you going to get from Costco? Sweet potato, white potato, rice. What else? Squashes. Anything. Anything in that that Roy G. Biv colorful, starchy carbs. Okay, Uh, if you tolerate oats, that's a great pop in the morning for uh, breakfast. Maybe grab some honey as well. So that's an option or agave or maple syrup. I don't know. But the the pure shit, not the high fructose corn syrup shit, right? Then you need to get a fucking big old bin of like spring greens, kale mix, power greens, salad type shit. Now, Tex introduced me to an interesting technique of eating salads. What do you have? Is it is it the bachelor salad? What is it called? Well, I got the bachelor mash, which... Stan Efferding stole and called it Monster Mash. Uh-huh. So I, I find it interesting that we both came upon this. But the salad mash is where you literally, you take salad from the, the bin or the bag. Buy a handful. Buy a handful and you mash it, mash it in into your, your mouth. mouth. It's the fastest way to eat a salad. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's like, it's changed my whole perspective on shit. Yeah. Luke used to have these salad bowls. No, fuck that. It's out. It's out. Chicken and bowls are out. They're fucking gone. You're, you're onto something here. Oh, yeah. And that's what you need to do. And you need to make sure that you have a ton of variety and you switch up your veggies, your roots, and your tubers, and your bulbs, which is onion, beets, carrots, 
parsnips throughout the week. You need variety there. But for the most part, getting some beef, getting some bison, getting some carbs is going to put you in the right place. And you need to train with the fury of 10,000 suns, and you need to run as fast as you fucking can on sprint days. And that's going to put you in a pretty good place. And if you like, you can't fuck up the sous vide in my, so far in my experience. So what do you got, Tex? And also get on Feel Strong. If you're on a um, conditioning, emotional conditioning program, get off of it. What do you mean by emotional conditioning? Do you feel you have to do more work and feel that burnout where you fall on the floor and get all sweaty? Mm -hmm. You don't got to do that. Your goal you still have a very limited window to play a sport that actually matters. So let's condition properly, right? So that'd be a field strong style program or remote coaching. Hit me up, bro. You on one or do you want me to jump on one? Uh, while we're on football, okay. Tony Fu asks, where does John Wellborn stand on touchdown celebrations? Now a part of football. Would he participate if he was given the, Car- I don't know that one. Whatever. Carte blanche. I don't know what that means. For 100% freedom. No oh. penalty. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Sounds French. Okay. Anyway, so John's not here, but Luke, where do you stand on touchdown celebrations? I love it. I think it's fine. I think it's fun. Let the kids play. And I think that's where Jay Welly would be as well. And I think that the now choreographed like team celebrations yes. are fucking great. I think it's fun. I think the fans like it. I think there's by by it being a team activity, there's inherent sportsmanship to it. That's that's where my stance is. Essentially, it's an opportunity to get the team together, right? And you create this this connection, this bond off the field, right? They're spending I don't know how much time, 10, 15 minutes a week saying, "Hey, we're going to do this when we get this this week." And it's it's just adding to the depth, and especially on defense, I love I kind of love the pick six where they all stand and pose yeah, for a picture. For fucking love it, yeah, yeah. So on board with the team celebrations and the Titans call out shout out to Canavy when they did the remember the Titans dance defense after they had a defensive touchdown. So the you, you got to check it out. Okay, so remember the Titans dance, Tennessee Titans. Google that and you'll find it. It's a good one. Nice. And I think John would do, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's kind of like uh, like you, that fucking thing. I know you the can't. The bird? You can't, you, can't, um, you can't see me, listeners, so I'm going to come up with a fucking a name for it and call it the switchblade. Okay? So think of, like, obviously gyrating to rhythm and taking the hands from, like, wide to crossing and doing, like, the DX, like, suck it. And then like coming apart and then come back and crossing it. I think that's his fucking thing. Whenever he talks about teabagging uh, either Ray Lewis or Warren Sapp, he always is doing the fucking this thing. You know what I mean? People, you're not going to know what the fuck I'm talking about, but you're just going to have to use your imagination. But I think that's going to be his go-to. I'll, I'll just answer on his behalf. I'm John Wellborn. All right. What else text you on? Another one you want me to pop uh, on? Blake Smith, so this is a call-out to the symposium. So he was attendee, and he's he's diving in here. First and foremost, the symposium was fucking awesome. Adoy. Also, text cool story broed me. <laughs> told me. Told him I spent my last dime to get there. I drove from St. Louis and was sleeping in my car. So, yeah, he showed up on Friday morning when we were all getting set up, and he was just, like, popped out of his car. It was like a... 
what's up, man? So I told him, just go get some breakfast. Like, we got the setup. Mm-hmm. But uh, I thought it was fucking nuts that he drove from St. Louis, slept in his fucking car in the hotel parking lot without paying for the hotel. Nice. Yeah. Now for the question. Do weightlifters need to go toes forward during the pull portion of the snatch and clean and jerk while needing to get the knees out of the way to pull? Most people find it easier to point their toes out. Now, obviously, during the jerk, toes forward would be the best to have the biggest drive to getting the bar up. But again, what about the pull? I don't know that that's an obvious statement. Well, you're... Let's see. So he's says most people go toes out to get the knees out of the way. Well, they I don't feel that in that action they're activating their posterior chain. So the the hamstrings are going to turn off when we get into that that toes out position, and it's going to bias the the quad. So so before we even venture in this okay. nonsense, I need you to acknowledge who we're talking about here. Text. Are we talking about? Okay. Yeah. What are you training for? World competitors. Are you going to walk into a world competitor who pulls toes out and is qualifying for the Olympics, hopeful, and say, no, bro, you got to go toes forward? Is that what you're telling me? Well, quoting Adam Nelson, Olympic hopefuls, I only work with Olympic Olympic faithfuls. Uh, No, because I'm not his coach. Okay. So is it possible? That there is a gold medalist out there that pulls with his toes out or her toes out. Yes. Okay. I just want to acknowledge that. So when my boy Blake here is talking about Olympic lifters, is he talking about his Olympic faithful? And are we talking about that person? He's probably talking about himself. Okay. So we're talking about, listen, Blake, I qualify myself in this category. Some dipshit who has a barbell and likes gripping and ripping it. And there's nothing wrong with that. So what's not, what I'm getting at, what's not on the line is some national level championship, right? Go ahead. So we're talking about enthusiasts and hobbyists here. Yeah. And or sorry, Tex, I'm, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Are we talking about field stick ball sport athletes? Right? So let's just disqualify the national competitor, Olympic faithfuls. Let's disqualify field sport athletes. Let's disqualify competitive Olympic lifters in general, even if they're amateurs. And let's talk about someone who uses Olympic lifts for training. And what they like to do is train. You good with that? Yeah. I'm going to restrict. So that is my disclaimer to the listeners. That is who we're talking about here. Go text. So in general, that toes off turns off the hamstring so it's it's working around a limitation versus forcing you to push those knees back in a hinge joint push those knees back into your hamstring and we know that we're able to hit that with our toes forward knees tracking over the foot then we can specifically target the hamstring so in our pulls we set up on our jumping feet so heels right underneath the hips toes pointing forward and we're training our athlete not to externally rotate not to drive their knees out in this position we're going to train that that initial pull like we would a jump where we're going to load the the backside load the posterior chain the calves the hamstrings into the glutes and the lower back so we're going to train that pull 
to then transfer to the jump. So we have our setup and our execution that replicate the best position for that, that vertical jump. So that's how we're going to teach the setup because we're thinking towards the jump and we know if we can jump higher, then that will transfer over to our, our squats and our sprints. But our, our power cleans, our squats won't necessarily transfer over to our jumps or our sprints in common setup practices. So our objective is to have movements transfer to movements, which then transfers to the field versus just getting better at a movement, the clean in this case. So again, the, uh, if you have the opportunity to go to the symposium, and you'll recall this, Blake, where our, one of our big objectives when we are teaching a movement is to teach movement, not movements. So I want to teach the clean, the setup for these movements to transfer to the jumps, which then transfers to the sprints versus just getting better at the clean. Mm-hmm. Is that better? It is, because yeah. what you have to also consider is someone may perform better. The one metrics for being performance is the one-dimensional one RM clean or snatch. Okay. They may perform better based off of anthropometrics, confidence, or even limiting factors with a toes out setup and competence. They've True, done it before. Yeah, totally. So if they don't have the patience to reset for, I'm making a number up text a year, reset their pattern, start from zero and work their way up again, then it's not going to work for them. Yeah. So if they don't have that emotional capacity to do that and the patience to do that, then Blake, here's the thing. It's not going to work. You know what I mean? Like, Oh man. Yeah. That's a beautiful point. Athlete's journey. So even though what Tex is talking about is, man, I don't know if this is the right term Tex. So strike it off the record. If it isn't the kinematic or the biomechanical, ideal biomechanical patterning for this dynamic hinge to rebend, you know what I mean? In carrying over to movement outside of a barbell and movement in space. If you just want to get a better one RM, dude, you got to fucking, maybe you just keep working. You keep dancing with the girl you brought, you know what I mean? Because if you pull off you might and go a different route, you have to have the commitment and patience to start over. Oh, yeah, and you're going to suck for a while. Mm-hmm. I guess we try to paint this picture in one of our, our longtime practicals from the old school CrossFit football seminar. Mm-hmm. We asked people to jump from the universal athletic position, mm-hmm. and that was a major challenge for people, and we have to introduce the concept that you are going to suck at this. Mm-hmm. It's different jumping position than we asked them or they've cleaned from before but to introduce you're not going to be good at this stuff doesn't mean you won't ever be so and public service announcement for blake as a coach i'm assuming he's a coach let's click through can you click through clicking through as you're talking about some of these um as you're talking about things you're passionate about don't use obviously because it's not obvious. Oh, yeah. Right? Just because it's obvious to you doesn't mean it's obvious to your clients. So make it a learning opportunity with how you phrase whatever you're talking about versus an opportunity for you to tout how obvious it is to you. And you're probably fucking wrong. That's what I would have learned. 
you're wrong 99% of the time because there's always an outlier. And that's what people love to pick on. You know what I mean? Yeah. They only grab the outlier. So insulate that and acknowledge that. But uh, I guess that has nothing to do with your fucking question. So I'm going to move. You're just providing some mentorship for this young man. I'm going to move on to MP Hollingdale. Hey, guys. About to implement Bedrock with a new client who is training for MMA. Locally, sprinting is an issue due to the weather and space and not directly relevant to his sport. Although I recognize the physiological benefit. Nice. Would you suggest any alternatives for Example, a volume slash intensity protocol on air bike or jump rope drills. So number one, no. Well, yes, you could do, you can do jump rope and air bike volume intensity, but understand that is truly just conditioning. There is no combinatory outcome. There's no coordinative abilities that are result from that. And that's what you're talking about. So being better at sprinting, improving sprinting mechanics will improve a snap kick. Improving sprinting mechanics will improve a fucking sick ass reverse roundhouse, like elbow thing, right? Like that is the combinatory abilities that we're looking to improve in our MMA folks going slow and hitting the street and hitting the pavement is not going to do that. So that's step one. Number two, our coach block one coach, Hot Carl, a.k.a. Mr. Bug Bites, just, <laughs> just yeah, dropped. I just pulled it up. Yeah, just dropped a blog post on the Power Athlete blog. Winter is coming. Sprinting. Okay, so if you, and that was maybe a month ago, current captain's log. November 12th. Date, no, Winter is here. Start date, Update. December 19th. Approximately one month ago, November 12th, Carl posted this. And there's some tips in there. Get yourself a mini trampoline. We learned this from Dave Spitz out of... Um, Cal strength. strength thinks text and it it's a great alternative while it's not as effective as truly sprinting it's a great alternative to work indoors now some other things that can help contribute to this coordinative ability this full body coordination uh med balls med ball circuits you'd be better off doing shit like that instead of jumping and skipping rope text i'll hand it off to you and also our footwork so we there are four steps that we train in power athlete. So one's an open step. We have a forward step, a crossover step, and then combining all of these through space. So you don't need more than a five-yard box mm-hmm. to train footwork. Seven. Seven? Okay. Well, I don't know how big this MMA guy is. Mm-hmm. You need seven feet, but I can No, not navigate seven feet. Seven yards. Seven yards. Did I say five yards? Well, I can navigate a five-foot box with... You know, I'm just saying I'm a great athlete. Anyway, <laughs> so open step, crossover step, forward step. So within Carl's video, we provide some videos. Within Carl's article, we provide some videos Thank you, that give you some examples there. And it all is, comes down to the universal athletic position. With your fighter, you're going to still coach through this position, but you can toy with different starts. But the footwork is going to be the same. You are pushing as you change direction. And he's moving his whole body through space and his brain is turned on. You are coaching him and he's moving as fast as he fucking can with some direction between reps. I do love the 5105. You're going to need 10 yards, 10 yard straight line for that one as well. So don't tell me that you can't sprint. But as Luke said, conditioning, sprinting is not conditioning. 
it is the key to unlocking athletic potential. And that's why it's so important within our bedrock. And we do it twice a week because we put on this muscle mass. We create these, these badass motherfuckers, but then we train them how to move their body, right? So I always reference the, the old Luke Summer story. We put on 60 pounds within Oof. the offseason, but did not sprint as much as he should have. Sexual Tyrannosaurus Tex. But he did not sprint. Tyrannosaurus Tex? Where the fuck has that been? Sit down. So, <laughs> but he did not sprint as much as he should have to learn how to coordinate the new Luke Summers mass. Put me down. Then I think it was. Nose and you went tackle. from linebacker yeah. to nose tackle. Yeah. And fucking. Fuck. Just like too big and too slow for a linebacker, too small but quick enough for a nose tackle. And just got absolutely pummeled by fucking big dudes in high school. Anywho, uh, I, I like that answer. We need to formalize. Oh, we I do. No, do. Like, we have Carl's article, but f- specifically for MMA. Oh, yes, because we need our manual resistance protocols for those guys. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't want them to put on as much mass we as need a efficiency. football player. Yeah. yeah. Um, And not that, man, I guess, yeah, there is, we need to fix that. But you are you will not steer your, your MMA folks wrong with Bedrock. No. You way. will not. So make it happen. I'm going to jump into one. And then I'd like to do Don Ritchie's to close. Okay. Is that cool? Are you tracking on that? Or are there any other questions you want to uh, hit? Well, yeah, we missed a, a second parter that oh, I yeah. do want to hit. Let's do it now. Okay. Uh, favorite Christmas movie of all time, Tis the Season. Man, I, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. Really? Because w- my family is just not a Christmas movie family. We're, we are show up, sit around. My dad tells hunting story. Like my old man can spin the yard like no one else. He will tell, he can keep you pulled into a hunting story that then goes to another story. So the family is just storytellers. Yeah. We're, 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 we sit down and listen to my old man talk. I think that beats Christmas movies personally. And then a new person shows up. What are you talking about? And you start again. Peter. I love so I love it. I'm biased, obviously. My mom's like wants to fucking blow her brains out because she'll say she'll say something, and my old man will be like, "You just saw, you just talked about that," and she's like, "Hey, do you know how many times you told the fucking the deer with the deer story where you clipped the spine and you had to, you know?" I, like, I didn't hear that one at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Well, yeah, there. Anyways, so I'm trying a long way of saying I don't have a good Christmas movie. And I don't, I'm kind of on the, bo- on board with Die Hard not being a Christmas movie. Well, but I, I do like Die Hard. You know I, what I mean? I love Die Hard and it, it used to be like funny mm-hmm. to say, oh, my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. But now people have fucking ruined that. God so I got a new one. What's that? Ready for this one? Uh, no, but go. Tim Burton, Batman Returns. <laughs> <laughs> you had, that- you heard it here first. Amazing Christmas movie, amazing movie. Rewatch it, mm-hmm. and then I in five years people are going to ruin that, and I'm going to come back to Die Hard. I my instinct was to answer this with Tim Burton's, so the original Batman. So I do enjoy. So the original Batman, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, is my preferred Batman. But it has to do with growing up, friends, nostalgia. When we only had VHS tapes, you know, taped Looney Tunes or Batman, like. We'd throw on Batman all the time. 
now it's kind of like you have so many fucking options and access to so many different movies. It's hard to find those rewatchables that were forced rewatchables that you can tie to life events oh, and yeah. growing up. So for me, that's bat, the original Batman. And like, I understand Batman two, Batman three are not the best fucking Batmans, but people it's all we fucking had. That's all we had. And Superman, wow. like Superman was fucking terrible back then. Yeah, People might awful. hate me on that. But I, I thought it was awful. Christopher but Reeves, God bless his soul, like cool dude. I like him. I, like looking back, it's kind of fun to watch those. And maybe that's what it was for is like later on a, a the comic book coming to life. But I just didn't dig them back in the day. But dude, those Batmans, even the Batman Forever, Jim Carrey, shut it down. That was fucking mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. So you can still pull like, man, that, those were great performances. Even no, yeah, no, it wasn't the best. But Batman Returns is fucking good. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the original, but um, dude, I got to go back. Dude, dude Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer oh. shut it down. Yeah. Let's go home. So you're taking Catwoman over Vicky Vale. Yes, 100%. Athletic, athleticism. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Where the fuck are we? Oh, okay. So my answer was going to be just out of default. If I were to watch a movie at Christmas, it would likely be Batman. Now, as a kid growing up, we always watched like Frosty, you know, those, what, the claymation ones, but yeah. we never had, like, we were never a Christmas story. We were never uh, National Lampoon. We were I never- was Jingle All the Way. Uh-huh. Still, I'll probably watch that and force it on my nephews. Mm-hmm. They won't get it, but I'll fucking love it. Um, but adult. Batman Returns. Yeah, my and my old man made no illusions that he would compromise for a family movie. We were all Steven Seagal, all Van Damme, all Bruce Willis, all fucking day. Like, there was no... We're not watching a... What? Christmas Story? No. Fucking... Oh, fuck. uh, Under Siege is on. That, like, yeah. there was no... No... There was no pivot off of that. Uh, I can also say, I guess, Godfather... Because uh-huh. that, that's just the time. It's always on fucking TV, I guess, around Christmas time. And then my mm-hmm. dad was like, f- forced it until like, oh, fuck, I actually appreciate this. Yeah. So Godfather also in there for Christmas movie. Yeah. Huh. Well, there you go. Am I good to jump? Yeah, let's right. wrap it up. Well, I'm going to go one real quick because I think this is uh, uh, solid. So our boy T. Caravales. Oh, yeah. T.C. Georgetown. Go. Great symposium, first time attending, long time listening, didn't disappoint. Two-part question. He's in finals. I'm in finals right now, and all my housemates are sick. Uh, How do you guys adjust diet and training when the shit hits the fan and sleep is no longer an option? This is a perfect question for the Luke Summers. Because (laughs) leading up to this symposium, here's my world's smallest violin, people. (laughs) The, the way things shook out and what we were trying to accomplish, timelines got shifted by a week or two. So what ended up having to happen is like 2.30 a.m. wake-up calls, 3 a.m. wake-up calls, grind on some shit from, let's say, 3 to 6, 7 o'clock, come to the ranch, group up, teamwork, make the dream work. And that continued, that like two to three hour sleep cycle continued until Sunday, where I fucking hibernated for the next three days, like four, 13 to 17 hour nights of sleep in a row. It's fucking epic. But what I'm getting at is every morning I would wake up and do the salad mash. 
and I would eat either chicken hearts or beef liver, whatever like nutrient, the most nutrient dense foods. And I would eat a fucking huge meal early in the day because I knew, I knew later in the day, it probably just wasn't going to happen. And then coffee intake skyrocketed. It just did. That's how it worked out. And then training wise, man, we just moved. I, I think work up to something heavy till you get bored and got to move on, but just no, never go zero training. That was my approach the past two years. And it totally fucked me for like three or four months after that, because when you get into this like high stress environment, you need to maintain maximum nutrient intake and you need to at least fucking move. You have to move. And it didn't mean like burn it down volume. It didn't mean burn it down weights. It just means enough to get you sweaty and challenge, right? And that might be 40 minutes. It might be 20 minutes. It might, you might have 60 to 90 minutes to do it, but just make it happen. Don't do nothing. And that was the same approach we took traveling internationally. Mm -hmm. Just go train. As soon as we landed, go train, salad mash. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and what I've also recently done is really in the morning in these times, really up fruit and vegetable intake, like tons of fruits and veggies in the morning, like till where it makes you sick. And I don't give a fuck about carbs or calories or shit like that. Like, dude, what you don't understand on these days, John had his whoop band throughout the symposium and like he had a lot like he the big guy did a lot. For those of you who are there, he had a lot going on, but he what he didn't have the bookends of those days. Rightfully so. He's fucking CEO of the company. So the team was taking care of the bookends, the early mornings, late nights. And he was talking about his fucking recovery score and his caloric burn was astronomical. So you don't understand in these high stress scenarios how much you're taxing metabolically, I guess. So you need to just don't fucking worry about it. Smash, but keep the food quality up. It's all about nutrient density, maximizing immune function because you're going to weaken that shit too. So you need everything that's going to support that and avoid the shit that's going to detract from that. So that's my answer on that. And then he has a part two. So he can't squat because of low back issues, but it looks like he can leg press. Is this a viable option for strength or do I just hit it mountain dog style? So, okay. So getting stronger, leg press will get you stronger, but here's the thing is you don't, you don't load cervically. So you don't have the same stimulus of like compressing the spine, bracing, having to support that. But you can also break those things apart doing things like isometrics. Um, Man, what about like a trap bar deadlift? Would that, could that potentially help? Can you deadlift Uh, dumbbell squats, um, split squat, split squat, single leg, rear leg elevated, not elevated, single leg active foot squats, um, Hatfield squats, maybe could that be an option? Yeah, and if l- loading your spine, try the goblet. Mm-hmm. And also, if it's depth that affects your back, don't go as deep. Staggered stand squats, like so, you got to maybe tinker with that. But either way, that that cervically loaded bilateral hip hinge is going to be beneficial. And then you could fucking then yes, leg press the fuck out of that machine. And then finally, let's go with this one, buddy, Don Ricci. Block one coach battling the bullshit. Text, did you have you given this one thought? Read it. What are the three biggest piles of bullshit you find yourselves having to consistently battle in the world of strength and conditioning? Oh, <laughs> I don't know, Don. I don't know if that 
works. No. Well, Bing. let's write it out. Let's fucking write it out. He, okay, he send heard, an email to he heard at Harry the, Heptonstall. <laughs> Where's my th 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 shirts? <laughs> um, man, I'm, I guess this is probably we, we can go back and forth for one, 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 one. Yeah, this is probably recency. But going back to who's our boy Blake, the obviously and the binary approach to training stuff it works or it doesn't it's right or it's wrong it's obvious or it's unknown i just don't like i just do not like drawing a line in the sand and maybe that's cowardice on my part because i know that to be a successful coach or organization you know people are going to tell you to have your fucking system and that may turn into some sort of dogma where shit is wrong you say that is fucking wrong because it doesn't match my system. So I guess this gets into a lack of principle-based systems, right? And the inability to break down your own belief barriers and, and live in another man's shoes, another coach's shoes, and why it may be right or it may be acceptable to stray from the absolute correctness. Right. And we find it with our coaches They're you know, it, they're very eager to do the, what's best. And I don't think that people do this out of like malicious intent. I truly don't. And I think that to sum it up and without barfing out more words, defining context and applying principles to statements of absolutes. Right. Even if it is toes forward or power athlete methodology, even our block one folks, like there's there's always a reason whether it's biomechanical, psychological, or sociological, there can be a viable reason to stray from the blueprint. And that's what I thought was awesome about Aunt Lowe's presentation because he, he fucking does this all the time. He, I mean, he, case in point, I'll wrap it up here, walking, standing at the symposium 12 hours a day, not sitting, not doing anything, just walking, standing, same pattern, my whole hip girdle locked up. Like it was pulling from the front of my ribs to the back of my ribs on fire. I guess you would call that iliopsoas. Who knows? He would say, cool story, maybe. And I'm like, dude, I need, like, I'm fucking jammed up, big guy. And this big goofy bastard came over. He's like, all right, sit into your squat. And then he's like, put your toes out and cave your knees in and shift as far right as you can and round your back. The worst squat you would ever see. People would say, that is unsafe, Right. But within 20 seconds, without touching me, totally released everything in my hip girdle. That's not posture and position that you see in sport. But in Ant's world, he understands that at this point, I'm not performing. I'm in pain. So yeah. do, do the worst thing, that you, the exact opposite that you would ever do. And it fucking worked, man. So I just don't like to hear those absolutes. So that's number one for me. Sorry. I'd go to the the sport coach. Again, this is just one of my ah, man, battles is a strong word, so I'm going back on hard stances I used to take basically cuz Luke would hammer me in arguments. But essentially putting strength and conditioning coaches in the best position to have a conversation with a sport coach to get them away from their beliefs and start listening to your ideas and concepts because you are putting the athlete first 
right? They're putting their, their wins first while the athletes are, they do care about them, but at the same time, it is their job to win. And if they don't, they're fucking fired. So having these conversations to expand their bandwidth as a coach to include the value of intensity sprints versus conditioning or the weight room before practice versus afterwards. So all these things to get the the value that you potentially see for these field court sport athletes and how to communicate best with a sport coach to have them see what you are seeing as well versus, you know, tape making it internal, getting down or having a negative relationship form because of your inability to communicate with that sport coach. So it is rampant out there and I don't want to see any strength coaches talk negative about sport coaches because this or that, no, you didn't do well enough to communicate. How can you better do that? So battling the bullshit is how to empower strength and conditioning coaches to speak to the sport coach. That is a a constant battle. But again, I just go back to the old Hollywood principle. It's always better to show than to tell. And we have amazing tools like that with the force bleed demo and a lot of our, our pillar work just showing them not optimal positions or like as, as Luke demonstrated or said earlier with his hips, you know, putting them in a position to, to feel what can open them up and make them pain-free versus forcing uh, different movements into your program or different goddamn conditioning tests into your program because of their beliefs. So battle that with ideas. I'm going to then go with, because it works for them, it'll work for me. Whether that's nutrition, whether that's a training style. I think Dr. Tom gave a great analogy on his original On the Long Road with John Wellborn, which is like four years old, but it's on five hours long. Fuck, dude. Yeah, if you guys have a week free, uh, (laughs) tune in. But he was talking within the context of supplementation and a friend who tried to supplement and had great results. And the analogy he gave is... A friend's car is running rough, and your car is running rough. He changed the oil. Does that mean you should change the oil? Not necessarily. There's more to it. So we're all very unique, and this comes a bit into individuality. But I'm thinking of it in the context of the proverbial influencer marketing, right? Just because this dude looks shredded or this chick has, uh, you know, hot buns or whatever, I'm going to follow whatever training they're doing. And I, I just, man, and it's going to lead me into the third, which I'm going to pop into. So don't, I guess, don't, that goes, then I get, let me get out of fitness and go then into the strength coach world. Just because this strength coach's system works with this team doesn't mean that it'll work with your team. And it ties into Tate's talk about authenticity and the best way you're going to get buy-in or you're going to get results as a coach is to truly be yourself and stop pretending to be somebody fucking else. Now going into number three for me is I guess confusing. How do I want to phrase this? Pretending that you can get it all at once. We often get inquiries into power athletes, email box about help selecting a program and a common response. If they don't provide information is, well, what are you trying to get out of your training? And people, what do you think we hear? 
I'm a hard gainer. Hmm. I'm weak. I'm fat. I want to lose weight. I want to put on 20 pounds of muscle and I want to set a state powerlifting championship and I want to maintain my fitness and stay under a five minute mile. And I want to be a figure skater. Like, okay, so there's a lot to untangle there. Take a simple approach, commit to it, and don't confuse simplicity with ease. Just because one, you're putting one goal out on the horizon, you're going to follow one track. What you have to realize is a lot of this training stuff, you have to accept it as a life sentence. If you are a guy who wants to lose weight, let's say you're 270 pounds, you lower and you're, you're, you're 23, 24% body fat. And over six months, you're able to drop down to 240, right? That was the easy part. Now, let's say you want to get to 230. That is going to be harder than from 230 to 220. That's even going to be harder. And are you going to get stronger? Maybe, maybe not. Are you going to get faster? Maybe, maybe not. But you have to stay on that track and realize that as you get closer to that goal, it only gets fucking harder. And what I like to think about with this shit and what I've been trying to hammer into some friends and some clients' mindset is accept it like a life sentence. If you've ever driven across the country or taken a fucking 30-hour flight to Cape Town, if you are wondering within the first hour or two, I, when, when are we going to get there? You're fucked. Like, you're fucked. You have to accept that that trip's never going to end, and then you have, to, you have to be grateful for when you realize and come out of the fog of war that it's over. Holy shit, I did it. And then on to the next thing. You know what I mean? But if you're caught, and I guess this goes to Andy's talk three symposiums ago at SoCal about the dominoes falling. You have to, for his selection, all he focused on through buds is the next meal, those small iterative steps. Next he, six hours. He wasn't looking at that endpoint, but he knew he was not going to stray off of that meal frequency. Like that's it. So focus, like just life sentence. Don't, com- don't focus on the end state, commit to the process. And it's corny as fuck. But you have to narrow that scope and training. If you're trying to accomplish all these things, you're going to get fucking nowhere. That's my three texts. Man, and I forgot listening. I got it. Sorry, bro. Got involved in there. I should have wrote it down. Uh, I guess, man, pet peeves. I don't. I got to go. I got to go with a, a Luke Summers classic. I know. I don't know. So. The assumption that a coach read this study or read this this section or read this blog, read this article, or read this this or that, and they oh I get that, but I don't know if they understand the the depth that the the intention, the prudency that the author, the researcher, whoever the coach was the message they were trying to deliver and articulate from this complex system or this prolonged study to put a, a coach in a position or an athlete in a position to then empower their performance. I, I do believe that any researcher out there is doing their damnedest to push the industry. Maybe there are some that are getting paid, whatever. But for the most part, strength coaches that are doing the research, they're doing this to put you in a better position to empower your athletes. So... I guess reading the conclusion only without understanding the whole process or uh, just looking at the the title of an article and be like, ah, I get that. I understand that. 
instead of taking the time to, I guess, digest and apply context to how that coach was applying it, how the researcher was setting it up to then come to this conclusion or, or take those results from that. So the, I have been going back because we got, got to edit a lot of articles in the, to change our format on the website. So going back and reading some stuff from 2014, 15 and 16, and I guess looking at the context in which those were written and the athletes that those were applied to and being like, man, those were high school athletes, those were college athletes, and looking at the different types in a lot of Carl cases, applying it to some high schoolers that are, I guess, private clients versus forced teams, that's a different perspective and different takeaways that he's taking from the high school athletes that I was forced to train, like, or they were forced to train with, with me. You. I had a great time. But um, so looking at the bigger picture with the, the research article or the coaching article, to help understand the context to empower performance versus just assuming, oh, I, I understand that because mm-hmm. of your past experience or you've read super training, so you quote-unquote get it. Nah, man, dive in, understand where that coach is coming from and appreciate the, the attempt and the effort they're putting forth to articulate their experience to help empower you. So Don is doing an amazing job right now writing some articles with us on how he teaches the power clean to his Olympic weightlifting athletes to help empower you to then teach your high schoolers or your general population this movement to benefit their goals. So that's that's a pet peeve is just people not appreciating the the effort coaches are putting forth to empower you as a coach or an athlete. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Bruce Almighty, is that a Christmas movie? Yeah, it is now. Power Athlete Nation, thank you again for listening to the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. (laughs) This podcast is over. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. As we approach the holidays, we are struck with incredible gratitude for everyone who turned out for the Power Athlete Symposium and for everyone who continues to tune into Power Athlete Radio for some unknown reason. This humble podcast not only brings us a lot of joy to make, but it always reminds us that there are people out there doing incredible things that can empower each of us every day. So just when we or you think you've got it all figured out, we hope that we bring you a guest that elevates you in some way that you didn't even think possible. And with that extremely corny sentiment, I wish you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, and Happy Festivus. Until next time, bye!